0: Chit Chats, Git Cats, number 46, I have my coffee mug. I am a happy cat because, as the, cu- as the cup says, no bad days. Folks, if you are tuning in, I recently just started putting these on to all the podcast sites. So I was streaming all these live to YouTube, where you could see my ugly face, and uh, and people were telling me that they kind of liked the excitement on my face, seeing me talking to some of these big wigs of the guitar world. But uh, I've also had the feedback from a couple of people that they like to listen to me talk to these cats at work, and it's a bit hard. I had a a, a pretty big guitar builder over here in Australia say, "Man, I, I'm trying to work. I'm you know, doing this intricate inlay stuff, but I'm trying to watch you. Can, can you put it on just the audio only?" So you can now find me over at the audio-only podcast sites. If you have found me at the audio podcast sites and would rather see me and my guest or join us in live, because we do have a chat room where you can ask us questions, uh, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Rick you will find us there. But without further ado, there is a ding-dong at my door, and who do we have? None other than Mr. Dave Weiner. Hey, Dave. How are you, man?
1: Hey, hey. How's everything?
0: Everything is going great, man. I am loving the setup you've got there.
1: That it's, is really, you know, really cool. In twenty twenty, you got to have a a good uh, backdrop for uh, all of the quarantine lockdown podcasts, videos, streaming, all that, all that great stuff. So, well, that looks so
0: cool and a lot better than uh, the library book backdrop that a lot of people seem to have. Well, have you, have my, you noticed that? Somebody pointed that out to me, that everybody has the, I'm in the library, I've got all my books in the background. I,
1: you know, I'm a, I, I've am always wanted a uh, home studio that, that is like walking into a guitar store every day and uh, just being inspired and motivated. You know, I you remember that feeling, you know, I started playing when I was 10, so even before that, going into guitar stores was so awe-inspiring for me that it, that 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 feeling just kind of stuck with me. So um, I always have a room that uh, you know is, is by my home studio, but I just always wanted it to be clean and organized because organization is motivating for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also want it to look like a boutique guitar shop. <laughs> So uh it's just very comfortable it's very inspiring for me to you know to come in here every day and just pick something up and um, and sit down and work.
0: I could totally relate to that man if you can see my background this is actually my lounge room uh, and i'm I'm the same way that I just like to feel comfortable in my environment I have tried having work setups in other offices space office spaces. Uh, mm-hmm. different rooms, but i always felt like I was going to work. And when I say work, I've worked in jingle production, audio production, teaching guitar, et cetera, for a long time. And I don't like that feeling of I'm going to that room to do work now. So that's why this is my lounge room set up and I'm very comfortable with it. Don't have a TV. I've got my Macs and I can stream YouTube and yeah. uh, Netflix, all that kind of thing. But Dave, you mentioned you started playing at 10. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to kick off how I start with most people and just ask you what started the love affair with the guitar at 10 years old.
1: <laughs> well, that answer is somewhat surprising to people. Yeah. But it was the um, the movie Back to the Future. Yes. Yes. That, that, that was really it. You know, the scene where he's playing Johnny B. Good and... Before that, I was a drummer, and, and I love drums. Uh, I've got a kit in the other room. I, I, I still do really enjoy playing, but uh, at 10, I was like, okay, I that's, that's, that's what I want to do. So I picked up guitar and never looked back. Um, but as silly as a reason as that is, that's my reason. I, I just uh, was very inspired by that, and it was just off and running.
0: Wow. You know, that seems to be a pretty common thing. Uh, I'm, as I said to you before we went on, I'm 46. So I'm, I'm guessing I, I'd, I'd already been playing for a year or two when that came out. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing you're not too far behind me. Uh, and that seems to be a common thing. That really inspired people of like, how cool is that? I want to do that. And the other thing too is a lot of people start out on drums.
1: So You, you know, know, I, I think, think- – you know, for in Back to the Future, also the, the opening scene where he plugs the Chiquita guitar into the giant amp and he just cranks it all up—that that was just awesome as well. <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, you know, I, I I am I'm thankful that I started on drums because as a guitar player, I think about rhythm as a priority more than anything else, and I think that's a Good thing, at least for me, it's a good thing um, because if I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a super technical player, despite being in Steve i's band for twenty years. Um, technique is great. We should all know as much and be, you know be proficient with as much as we can about it. But I, you know, I always just wanted to go. just just more very low quantity of notes Mm -hmm. but you know i want to make people's heads move i want that rhythm built in yeah and uh again starting on drums i think that prioritized the way that i think about this instrument as far as yeah we have notes versus what a drum kit has but um if it's not rhythmic what is it you know (laughs) what's happening
0: I, I keep saying to people, rhythm guitar is, in, in your average cover band, say, is 95% of the gig. And there's a lot of guys that spend so much time getting their Widdly- diddly's down that they just can't play rhythm guitar. Um, yeah. So, and, and the guys that have great rhythm, they all say that. They started out playing drums. And I, I thought I'd, I'd be a drummer. I started out playing the organ back in the day. My mum is European and she wanted me to play the, the piano accordion and uh i was like yeah no that's not gonna happen so she ended up buying me the organ with the drum machine built into it and i was fascinated with that drum machine i'd see people on tv oh they crossed their hands over and i sort to figure out what was going on uh but then in high school uh we had to learn to play a song on the guitar and i just fell in love with it 10 years old you saw back to the future what was the next step next step for you then mate
1: Well, I was fortunate enough to have parents who were supportive. Uh, So I started with a local teacher, you know, at my local guitar shop. uh, Lessons every Friday and did that for a couple of years until I kind of just started teaching myself throughout my teens. But, you know, the goal for me was always just playing in a band with a singer. It really wasn't instrumental music. Um, So, you know, when I was about 13, I got this this cheesy 80s band, essentially, you know, together. Uh, But we wrote a full-length original record, and we went to a studio, and we recorded that, and then we did it again. Um, I think the second one came out by the time I was 16, maybe a little bit younger. But it was just right from the start, you know, learn a couple of things and put that into writing. Yeah, and create. That's it. Like yeah. that's that's create and then go play. Those two things are the reason for my existence. Essentially, yeah. you know, it's yeah. it's um it's always been the cornerstone writing. You know, you're never you're never going to be an artist unless you create. And um, it wasn't even that thought uh, when I was really young. It was just that's what I that's that's what innately I wanted to do. I loved playing along to records, tapes, CDs, um, you know, MTV <laughs> yep. when I was young. Uh, but it was always just cre- excuse me creation that was really what pushed me. And I saw that the more I learned, uh, theoretically, technically, even the fretboard, just the pre- everything, you know, it was just, I saw how everything unlocked everything else. Yeah. And yeah. so I was gaining, you know, uh, even even as a teenager, you know, it was a, uh, a smaller vocabulary, but it was a vocabulary. And um, I just saw how it just kind of fed the writing and then the writing fed necessity to keep growing. And then that would just keep cycling around like that. And um, I still, I mean, that's that's the inspiration for me is creation to this day you know i this uh, i've got just finished two full length records for different projects and um, you know that's just what i do every day i don't i'm not sure i don't know if you're not creating what's happening what 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 are you what's the point i don't know that that's a, that's just the way that i feel is like what why am i learning all this technique why am i learning all this vocabulary for what you know uh, for me the answer is to create Otherwise, what what is the point? Sure, sure. But really, what's the, what's the point?
0: So you mentioned getting started playing in, in a band quite young, 13. Mm. Uh, I think that's a really good thing to lock in playing for people because if you're not doing that, you're probably playing parts of songs, right? You're not sticking it out and playing, okay, this song just does this for three and a half minutes of just these chords. I think – some people don't experience that until they, later in life, they might be 18, 19, 20, 21, when they start playing in, in pubs and clubs and they miss out on that. Uh, just that discipline of actually playing a song, as boring as it might be, beginning to end. But you said you were writing your own stuff, not, not cover band.
1: But Well, right. right. Well, you know, obviously we, we did both. Yep. Um, playing along with covers as a young player of any instrument is kind of how you get your feet wet yeah. at least with how did these people use this group of chords how did this player use this technique and that's what's amazing and it's still amazing to this day because all we it's it's better than ever because we have youtube we have you know apple music and all of the other streaming platforms that are so cheap it's crazy mm. Uh um, we can just pick and choose anybody and go find their music immediately there's no going to a store anymore we can find them immediately and listen to even the solo or part of the song and 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 learn that and kind of get on this path that we're talking about here of inspiration and how did they you know how are they going Um. You know Joe Walsh and how he did all that versus you know how how's every other well not every other but like the country guys who are doing the chicken picking, you know essentially what that is that that when I heard that for the first time you know when I became aware of it it was like that's cool and that's not country but that sounds like it sounds like some chicken picking, like I I would hear. Uh, I don't know, some of the early country guys that I was listening to when I was young, um, like Danny Gatton, you know, and Brent Mason and some of these kind of players. Um, But we have such access to so much information. Absolutely. And even if it's not a tutorial, even if it's not even a podcast, we still have access to the music that we can pull that influence from. So I certainly did that you know, as a, young, as a young kid playing along to tons of different records and getting, gaining that perspective. But again, for me, I think the, what was really important was not just absorbing and regurgitating. It was absorbing and understanding where they were coming from and then turning it into creation and doing with it whatever it might be that that I wanted to and um that's I think that's still that's the missing link if not that we're talking about any anything that's missing or guitar education or anything but I'm sure it'll come up um if you ever want to get to know yourself there's only one way to do it and that's to create art on this instrument and find out how you might you know do stuff like that or, or whatever you're working on there's if you're doing it exactly like somebody else, at least to me, when I hear myself doing something too much like somebody else, I stop and I go another direction because yeah. we, we don't need another one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: You know? So, man, you got a beautiful PRS in your hand, and, and I've seen many uh, videos and pictures of you with PRS guitars. What did you start out on back when you first started playing? What was the first instrument you had?
1: My first guitar uh, – sorry. Hang on. One. Okay, sorry. Never mind. Um, my first guitar was an Ibanez. It's like a Roadstar two. yeah. Which is essentially a Strat. It was a, just a. It was essentially a Strat copy. I still have it. It's at my parents' house, actually. Nice. Um, I should get it. I should get it and put it up somewhere in here. But um, that was my first guitar, and I loved it because it was essentially like you know a Strat. It was actually candy apple red, like this one. Cool. Candy apple red, um, an aged pickguard or mint green—I I don't remember which one that is—and then a rosewood board. It was essentially that guitar, uh, but uh, you know, ibanez and um, a little bit different. But uh, I loved it. It got me—it got me very early on invested in tone, and I, I just loved the way single coils sound. If I have to pick a guitar for a desert island, it's a—it's a you know, a strat type guitar. Yeah. Because I just need that single coil. I need the single coil in the despite what I'm holding. I need the single coil in the neck and in the middle position. Uh the bridge pickup, it can be a single, it can be a humbucker, it can be a mini bucker. I love that. Um but that was my first guitar. I, I absolutely loved it and I still have it.
0: Yeah. Man, I, it's funny. I, I'm a strat guy myself and I, I've tried to get into Gibson style guitars, but like you're saying, that single coil in the neck position—that is just the tone. What, what were we using for an amp back then?
1: <laughs> um, he laughs. That's, that's okay, fine. this is gonna be good. Well, I, if I remember correctly, my first amp was a Gorilla. I don't know if you had those in Australia. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Uh, it was probably a little five or six-inch speaker. I, I couldn't tell you how many watts. None, you know, barely any. Yep. But um, you know, back then it was like the coolest thing ever. But you know, of course, it was it was a very low wattage amp. I, I couldn't even tell you what it was. Ten watts, you know, something something like it had it had no headroom, so yep. it it broke up very quickly. So I do remember my first pedal was a Dod. It was a little black pedal. I think it was called American Metal or Hard Rock, something like that. It was a distortion pedal, you know. Yeah. That um, I remember getting that, and like anybody young getting new gear, especially a distortion pedal, everything just went on 10. And it sounded terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't sound good. But, you know, obviously, everything on 10, sometimes that sounds awesome. But not through a tiny little speaker and a tiny little low wattage amp. It just was a giant mess. But I loved it. I had a blast. I had a blast with it.
0: Cool, cool. And and what did you start off playing, man? What when you started playing? Were you learning things by ear? Like were there certain things that records that you had? And like, yeah, man, I actually just worked out how that went.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, because again, back then there was no internet. You could get VHS tapes you know of uh like i said i i had a danny gatton vhs tape i had a scott henderson oh cool i I think it was two vhs tapes from him and that was my bible back then that henderson stuff set me on a good path again to kind of think more about rhythm and a little bit more tasteful playing than just worrying about just constantly shredding all over the place um So I was listening to um, Henderson, Robin Ford, B.B. King, Stevie Ray, but also Steve I, Van Halen, you know, late 80s, all those bands. And there were some really great bands back then with really awesome players. I mean, Andy Timmons, uh, of course, Steve, Joe, Paul Gilbert, um, I mean, there were tons. There were tons of really there was a lot of crap, but there was also a lot of really awesome players. Um, and even the players who weren't like kind of stand out as far as like one of these eighty shredders, you know, they could write songs, mm. right? So I took value above all else in the song. But also as a guitar player, obviously, I'm focused on the uh, what the guitar is doing. And that's that's probably the thing that led me. To being a fan of Van Halen and Vi and players like Vito Brada from White Lion, yep. um, who I've mentioned many times in, in interviews and stuff, is, you know, they all had a thing where they weren't just sitting there playing chords. You know, if, if, if they're playing like an A minor... Mm-hmm. Wasn't just sitting on chords they were making something happen with it uh which i always found to be very inspiring and that was the kind of player that i, I wanted to uh, become
0: cool very cool you're right man like um i think eddie van halen was a great example of that as well where it wasn't just the solos it was the other stuff he's playing uh, nuno bettencourt all oh. those guys uh, so when you graduated to playing with a band, did you uh, you step up from the gorilla? I'm assuming you did.
1: I remember, you know, uh, no, actually, I did not. For I got that gorilla, and I started playing when I was ten. I didn't get a new amp until I was sixteen. Really, and I don't really remember why I, but but I kind of think it was a good thing. I want to think that I was in the right frame of mind as a young person yep. to focus on writing and the playing more than gear. Yep. I want to say that, but I might be full of crap. I don't know. I don't I don't really remember, you know, but I did, you know, produce the music so it is it is what it is, but um or else I was just extremely poor, which I was. <laughs>
0: Same, man. I didn't actually no, I, have an amplifier. I lived in a caravan with my mum, and I had an electric guitar, and I used to hold the headstock against the, the caravan wall, and it would vibrate, and the whole place would become like this acoustic guitar. And I didn't awesome. have an amp for a couple of years of having my first electric guitar. Uh, and a PV no,
1: I, little I PV Studio important. Pro t-
0: 112 was was my first one.
1: What, what say that again?
0: PV Studio Pro 112 was my first amplifier, a little one by 12.
1: That that seems to be. Um, oh, I just noticed uh, there's people in the chat here on the, there is. On the page. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, you know, I, I that PV amp seems to be like most people's first or second amp. And I remember the band that I was in, the drummer lived down the street and he also had an amp and it was a, I think it was a PV like bandit or something like that. And I just remember it was, it had way more uh, wattage. So it had made way more headroom had way more distortion. It was like the best thing ever. But I, and, and I used that, I think in the studio and again, when I was like 13, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Yeah. Um, Eventually, I got a crate. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a crate, just a solid-state head and a crate 4x12. I think it was for my 16th birthday. Yeah. And it was like the best thing ever. Yep. Um, and what's really funny is that was the rig that I used until I joined Vice band when what? I was 21. Really? So I joined Vice Band. It was I was I was 21ish, and I said to Steve, you know, I don't, you know, because I came I came right out of school, and I didn't have any money, you know. Um, so I said to Steve, I was like, I, I have no gear. I did have an Ibanez Universe, uh, which was a seven string, um, which I bought in a pawn shop. um... For a really nice, cheap price, you know, and I still had that crate head, and I think I had a Mesa Two Twelve, which was an act, you know, like an actually good piece of gear. Yeah, um, the universe was fine too. the The amp was garbage. So uh, Steve, Steve just let me borrow some of his gear for the first tour that, you know, that I did with him. Um, but uh, yeah. I mean, growing up, I was just more focused on playing and writing than I was into gear. I wasn't really, you know, that much into gear. Um, but, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, I started wondering, like, why, what, what is this amp, why is this amp different from this amp? And, you know, this guitar with this wood and these pickups different from something with, uh, you know, like a Strat or whatever. Um, So somewhere in there, I started getting really curious and I'm the kind of person that, you know, if I'm going to buy a new TV, I will research it to death and then I will go buy like five TVs and bring them all home because I'm insane and get them all out and, and, and just line them up and just look at what is the best thing at home because in the store, uh it's it's hard to tell you know yeah yeah and return policies are so good now so i don't mind spending the effort to first do some research narrow down bring everything home live with it and and then and then go from there so i do the same thing with gear so you know in my journey with guitars like even even the prs's that i've uh i've got here or, or the strats you know they're all slightly different um some are alder, some are ash. You know, some of these are maple over mahogany. Honestly, most of my PRSs are ash. Yeah. I have, ash is my favorite wood. I yep. love the the EQ in in an ash uh, piece of wood. Um, so so most of the custom stuff I've done with PRS, it's it's mostly ash. I think I have. I mean, there's only two. There's only two mahogany PRSs this one and then this green one um, which you know PRS's bread and butter is maple over mahogany just yep. like a, you know Gibson for the most part but I'm uh, I, I, as much as I love you know this guitar and the green one, Ash is my preferred. but you have to figure that out. You mm-hmm. have to put the time in to be able to understand what is the difference between ash and alder and all the other ones basswood. Uh, sassafras mahogany you know all of these other ones um and i i never wanted to be kind of ignorant to that stuff some some pros say they just don't care about gear and they just want to create music and go play it yep i totally understand that but i want to understand the tools that i'm using
2: yeah
1: i want to know what the difference is between this you know maple over mahogany versus maple over ash or just ash or just alder or whatever it is and i don't know so i i I went down that road in my early 20s um and um you know i've kind of gone through that kind of mountain peak that a lot of people go through where it's like i have way too much gear and lately i've been kind of getting rid of gear you know, to yeah. be—I I know it doesn't look like it here, but this is this is the stuff that I use a lot. Um, you know, there's three amps here; they're all the same amp, they're Friedman Small Box 50s, and um, I've got some other stuff in other parts of the house here. Um, but if it all went except for this and a few guitars, I, I would be I would be okay with that. Cool,
0: cool. So you're a big oh. believer in ToneWood, then, huh? Because I, I've had conversations with. Uh, guitar designers who swear by it. And then I've had other guys who say, nah, man, it, it doesn't matter. Pickup you know, pickup only picks up magnetic vibration. It d- doesn't affect it. Uh, and it's funny that you, that you, you say, um, Ash, because I've got a couple of strats back there. I've got a few, oh, it's probably all out of focus. I've got, uh, an older strat. That's a basswood one there. There's a, that, that guitar, there's mahogany, that Hamer, there's an mm. older strat. And, to my ears, if, they're, if I got them there and I just run my finger over it, the difference that I hear in sound of them acoustically
2: mm.
0: is what transfers to when I'm playing them through an app. So I totally do believe that it, it does uh, contribute to the sound. And uh, you say you like Ash. For me, Ash has a, a bit more of a scooped mid-range and a nice big warm low end and some bell-like highs. Is that what you're hearing? I hear a
1: nice soft brightness on top. I am, my ear is really in tune with frequencies I hate. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I hate 3K. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've done tons of engineering. So, you know, if you know engineering, 3K is the ice pick in the air. And, and it can go up from there. 7K can get fizzy and all that kind of stuff. Yep. But, uh, Ash, to me, has enough of that brightness but it's a different quality to it there's a bit of a softness in the quality of ash it does have a bit of a you know marginal scooped mid range it's got enough low end for me i don't like a lot of mid range you know which is why uh, if i'm going to play something crunchy or overdriven mahogany is okay for me but i cannot play mahogany guitars clean i'm not into that mid range bell sound. Sure. You know, yeah. I I just can't like, you know, like a, a slash clean tone, you know, which is just a generality of yeah. a less popular Marshall, you know, but but slightly I, I can't like that's that doesn't work for me. I need a little bit more um even EQ, if not a, a tiny bit of a dip, uh somewhere in the mid range and in the upper mids. Um, but you know that, that said, like this is clean-ish. A little bit of dirt. A little bit of dirt on it. And that's fine, but but that's that's not that's not clean. You know, this is if you're familiar with small box fifties, it's a two-channel amp. There's a plexi channel and the BE channel. I'm on the Plexi channel with the gain all the way up. So It still has it still has a little bit of dirt underneath what's happening, but if I play just like if I plug this into a Fender Twin or a Deluxe, I'll hate it. Like I can't like but I never play clean. I don't unless I'm playing with Vi or I'm playing with some some other artist or or the need is for clean, clean, clean. Otherwise, I do not play clean. If I want to clean it up, I just take this.
2: And, and I'll bring it, it down a tiny yeah. bit. Yep.
1: Or I'll split the taps here. Or again, I mean, switch over to a, a single coil. But, um, you know, but you have to go... Th- I- I'm a firm believer that everybody should put a l- little bit of effort and time into figuring out what really works for you. And honestly, it takes a day. It takes one afternoon. i speaking very, very surface level here. But if you went into a guitar store and you found a nice amp, a good tube amp, and then you pulled down a PRS and a Les Paul and a Tele and a Strat and an Ibanez and anything else, and you put it all through the same thing, you're going to have the reference point and you're going to be able to have that judgment. um, And therefore, your experience teaches you what your ear wants to hear. uh, But then you also kind of have to do it with the amp. And then you have to do it with the speakers. And how many of them? You know, we have to kind of go down this, this, this uh, rabbit hole of discovery, but it's a joy to do. And you come out the other side fast tracking how to get your tones, you know and how to find your sound on the guitar, which is here and then here and then materialized, you know from from what you're using. Um, but that's just, that's kind of my philosophy with, with year. Um, it is so
0: true, man. Like a, a lot of people overlook that the tone is so much in the fingers. I, I've seen guys and I've, I've got friends who have played through Eddie Van Halen's rig, have played through Nuno Bettencourt's rig and they just went, man, I was so disappointed. It still sounded like me. Uh, but <laughs> I, I'm just going to bring up something man. Um, we, I, I'm a small box guy myself. I, I, I sold mine about a year ago to fund an overseas trip, but I really want to get my hands on another one again. But um, I think both you and I might be known as the small box guy because if you do a search on small box, really, <laughs> the two videos that will pop up are you and I. And i got to <laughs> say, I just remembered you were a big influence on me buying my small box uh, for checking out videos, and I came across yours okay. and I just went, oh, yeah. Because it's very hard to come by uh, Boutique Amps, where I am. Uh, sure. Yeah. Sydney and Melbourne have uh, more boutique-y shops, but up this way, it, it, you just don't get them. So, yeah. a lot of my decisions were made online, and you influenced me in getting that. And I've been to Nam and the like, and had people... Wave me down and go, hey, small box guy, because of my demo. So that's that's quite, quite funny.
1: <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. Awesome.
0: Now, man, just talking about guitars, and you said you're into the strats uh, or single coils. Uh, but you know, you're playing the PRS. Do you get convincing single coil sounds out of those?
1: Well, this is tapped right now. Yep. What I've been playing, everything you've heard so far, as basic as it is, coming through a webcam. Um, it is tapped. <laughs> is it convincing strat tones no you know it's 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 really and and you know anybody watching this who likes funk is now cursing me for playing funk with any kind of dirt on here but you know you get the idea it's it's still too hot these pickups are still too hot Mm -hmm. and i love this guitar by the way is a completely stocked off the shelf um 2010 custom 24 wow and I've I've had this on so many Steve I tours and I've used it on uh, on my own tours and records and such it's uh, it's just fantastic there's nothing changed from the factory these are the factory pickups I have no idea what they are but they sound fantastic but they're still too hot Um, even split like this and I'm on the neck pickup right now (laughs) But they are responsive they will you know they clean up nicely but it's not it doesn't really sound like a strat um you know i'm coil taps for me don't don't do that hmm. enough yeah you know well, they they do it somewhat and if i have to take if, if i've got other requirements like again when i go on tour with Vi, i need 24 frets um, so there's plenty of times And especially if we're going overseas Like if we're going to Australia, you know, or somewhere I can't take five or six guitars I kind of have to whittle it down Honestly, most of the time I take two seven strings And that's about it Really? Because my seven strings are all tapped as well um, And they obviously cover the seven string But I can cover all the six string And tap it to cover like um song Answers that we play with Steve which is very Strat sounding Yep, uh, and it does have an envelope filter on it as well people don't realize that either but um, you know I I, I'll just take I I gotta be efficient with the gear that I'm taking on a plane so I'll grab the seven strings they do the job is it a Strat of course not it it, but but it it does a great job you know and these guitars ever you know that's the thing it's like to me every guitar and, and I only get guitars that have a unique sound to them, you know, generally speaking. You know, all of these PRSs are slightly different, and I love to experiment. You know, like the Silver Sky, that's Alder. This Nash is... Uh, the Nash Strat is uh, Ash. That red one is Ash. That gold one is Alder. Um, and then you've got the variety of, of everything else in here, and it's... Um, it is, as much as I have ash guitars, they still sound different, yeah. you know, and, yep. and that's part of the wood. It's yep. part of the neck. It's part of the pickup. Um, How much do you attribute
0: the bolt-on versus set neck? Because the PRSs are all set neck, aren't they? Except for the Blue uh, Sky.
1: Most of them are. Most of them. I mean, obviously the Silver Sky is a Silver bolt-on sky. and they have a uh, line of guitars called the CE. Which is a fantastic. I think it's a CE22 and a CE24 maybe, and those are bolt-on as well, Um, and they're fantastic. You know, I don't. I don't think about it much. Again, if I have to choose one guitar, it's It's an S-type guitar of some sort. You know. Um, How about fretboard wood? Fretboard.
0: Fretboard wood. Do you attribute that to to the tone much?
1: I. It it does, you know. Uh, I mean, I've, some of these are ebony, some of these are rosewood, some of these Brazilian rosewood, some of them are maple. Um, there is uh, this this orange one is coca bolo, which is uh, from what Paul Reed Smith told me a uh, in the rosewood family. Mm-hmm. You know, so is it is it that much different? No, I mean honestly, I, I would have to have the exact same guitar with the same woods, the same pickups, but just like Maple versus Rosewood to really hear that difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there is a difference. Maple's, you know, generally got a little more spank to it. Um, I don't really care one way or the other, though. Yeah. You know, I, I'm good with either. <laughs> cool, cool.
0: Man, I'm just going to pick your brains a bit about uh, your knowledge of the guitar because um, you've got your the, the Gatopia... Uh, website yeah. which is excellent and uh, you used to do the Riff of the Week uh, for, as a free thing on YouTube years ago yeah. and I, I remember tuning into those and picking up some great ideas off you um, Yeah,
1: all, oh, oh. Go
0: ahead. To, to joining the Vi Band at 21 and, and you said mostly self-taught how did you acquire the knowledge and the technique involved to be able to keep up with somebody like Vi
1: you know I've said it a million times if I did not audition for Vi. I got that gig because while I was in music school, I happened to meet his manager at the time, Ruta. And I was working for her. And by that, I got to know, I I started to get to know Steve. um, But I never pushed myself, my playing. I never pushed any of that onto him. You know, you got to listen to me play because then you're just a fanboy. And, you know, that's, that's not going to get you you know too many places. So I let Steve ask to hear you know my music. And again, as a writer, I had a four-song demo that I just recorded with some people at the music school, and I gave that to him, and he heard I, I, I could play. I was a confident player, but he also got to know me. And that's what you want in your band. You want your friends in the band. Mm-hmm. You want people you can trust in the band. Technically as a guitar player, there is, was, and always will be a billion guitar players better than me. Better, you know, again, what does that come down to? Technique? Sure, absolutely, I'm the self-admitted, not the most uh, technical player out there, as much as I love it, and I'm a big advocate for technique. Um, But I could do enough to play the parts uh, I did immediately see room for work. Yeah. Uh, immediately, you know, yeah. from day one of okay, we're gonna we're gonna play this line in one of one of one of the songs, and uh, I was like, oh, okay, I gotta shed that. <laughs> I'll I'll be back tomorrow, and I'll I'll have that down. You know, yeah. I, I just had I just had an extreme amount of diligence. For whatever reason, I really don't know why, but but it was just a love and a passion for this instrument and playing music, um, and uh, you know it was just okay if that's what needs to be done. I'm gonna go home and shed this line mm-hmm. all night. I will sacrifice sleep. You know, I'll be at rehearsals tomorrow, and we will, you know, we'll get this thing down. And well, what's I think, the
0: what's just, the hardest thing that that's been thrown at you? What's the hardest thing? In, in the vibe band to try and keep
1: up with him on. You know, it's, it's, it's not so much licks because you can, anybody can shed that stuff. Anybody can shed anything. That's the thing we have to remember. You can play. I, I say it all the time in Gatopia. You got to remember the philosophy behind things. And that's that we can all play anything right now. If we just play it slow enough, we just have to have the patience and the diligence to then work it up. You know, so that to me makes everything very easy. I just know I have to put time into it. Okay. Yep. So it was more so. I'm trying to think of like one example, but I mean, even like like that song I was playing, "Answers" from Passion and Warfare. I walked into rehearsals and I thought I had that down, and Steve's like, "No, no, that's <laughs> that's, that's not even close." What I learned, again, day one, like, immediately, was the attention to the detail and the nuance and the subtleties that my ear wasn't picking up yet. Yeah. Notes? Yes. Some of the movement? Yes. But the details and the subtleties and the nuance, I I, I was not. And it's not that easy to really listen, you know, and, and, and dive into that stuff as there are so many layers, usually. Um, but that kind of stuff, I just I just saw kept happening,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and every time it was a it was a, a beautiful thing. It was a great eye opener and ear opener of like, that's really what makes a good musician, is the listening, and that has carried from that moment on to tackle any of these difficult parts. Like we used to play a song called Freak Show Excess, which is in I don't I don't even remember eleven or some, something I, I, I honestly i don't remember but i used to play sitar on that and i was playing a sitar solo and it was that was difficult it's a lot of the timing stuff uh mike mangini who used who was in the band when i joined and now he's a drummer for dream theater you know we used to play a song uh not that song but we used to play another song in 11 and he was the one who explained he's like here's how i'm counting it one two three four five one two Three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, one. You know, he showed me how to split it depending on where the accent was. Yep. And it's like, uh, okay, that should be a no-brainer, but it wasn't to me. Yep. Um, so I luckily had, you know, that first band, Phil Vino on bass, Mike Kennealy on keys and guitar, Mike Mangini on drums, of course, Steve. Um, there was a great team there that were all extremely kind generous with a newbie like me at the time to walk into this situation over over a weekend essentially and have them all be very supportive and if they saw something they would say hey listen you know think think of it this way try this way and um, it made all those things that were seemingly very difficult not so difficult anymore as long as I put the time in as well. You, that, that's never going to go away. You want to get good at anything in life. It's not by osmosis. It's not by reading a book. It's not by watching a video. It's by you putting the hours in to gain the experience. Absolutely. And then you refine your process and you you keep going from there. Yeah. Um, but we have to, you know, again, I'm big on philosophy. And so like on Gitopia, there's a guitar course called the guitar path and so the first thing we talk about is this kind of stuff Yep, get the philosophy understood and it just makes it paves the way for a, a happy existence as a player as a learning player which everybody that I know always will be and I do mean by Satch John Petrucci Malmsteen like all these people I've had a chance to spend some time with on the road they're all shedding they're yep. all practicing yep. every day. It's not all day every day. Malmsteen, Malmsteen practiced a lot on those G three really? tours. Yep, um, he would sit back. He would sit backstage with a little Marshall micro stack, <laughs> and shed and just shed and shed and shed. But that was super awesome. That was very inspiring. Yep. he was a very cool, he was a very cool guy. Yeah, I mean, talk about technique and 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 and. Uh, just a monster, monster player. Just, you know, really cool guy too.
0: Yep. You know, it's funny you talk about him. Him shedding. Uh, I had a live chat with Thomas McRocklin, um a few weeks ago now, and yeah, yeah. it was his morning over in the UK, and he'd picked up, and he was, he didn't have much flash first up, and he said, "Bear with me, man." And as we're talking, I'm going to warm up, and he started playing, and he was all fumbly at, at first, but then after we were talking for a while, and he was constantly noodling as we we're playing. Whoa, then it came out, and uh, it sort of made me realize that, yeah, you, not everybody wakes up and is, is Superman, and that it does take that, that practice. Uh, I had uh, Michael Adolchere from um, The Voice Australia on last week, and he said that he gets up, and every morning, his family leave him alone to just do his practice, his, his shedding. Yeah. And, yeah, without that, he gets rusty pretty quickly. Uh, do, you, do you have a, a practice routine that you
1: do? Um, you know, now my practicing is in the form of improv. And that's pretty much it. But it's not like I don't think of things. I mean, that is the test. That is the challenge to see where anybody is as a player to throw on a musical situation and try to answer it, because you have to think of everything from the ground up. You have to think of what is the key and quality, where is it on the fretboard, what genre am I playing in, where is the meter, what is the feel, what is the tempo? Now I have to answer all of that, I have to answer all of those details with my musicality, my rhythm, my phrasing, my usage of the technique, in time, subdivided, you know, and make it tasty,
2: right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: There is no bigger challenge than improvisation. So if, and I get asked this all the time, I only have an hour a day to practice, an hour, that's a, that's a good amount of time. If you only have 10 minutes a day to practice, throw on a jam track and put your time in going through that whole list of, of details because, again, that is the testing grounds to see if you can answer a musical situation There is no better test um, than being, you know, put right on the spot Um, and being able to think through that list and answer, you know, answer the to do list that you have to do to make something sound musical uh, at a moment's notice. But again, like you said, with these other guys, um, you know, Thomas McRocklin is a good friend of mine. He is a ridiculous talent, a ridiculous guitar player. But, you know, yeah. I, I That's another part of philosophy that I talk about as a guitar player is you have to maintain happiness as a guitar player every day. So if you expect to pick up the guitar and, and be a shredding monster, cold, you know, for some people, like when I pick up the guitar, I tell people as part of the philosophy, just do something that's comfortable. Yep. You know, so I, I might pick it up and go you know just kind of start running my fingers through stuff I don't. It, it's, it's not the most musical thing ever but it starts to get me warmed up and I start to you know just start playing through okay yeah I'm, I'm going to play E blues and then it starts to fall it starts to fall into place the more that I get warmed up but I used to be one of those players that was like why am I not shredding perfectly at eight AM after I just woke up. First of all, I'm a musician, I'm never up at eight AM. But just generally speaking, you know, I I let myself understand and have a break, you know, ease into it, start off you know, just start off with something that is easy, but at the same time always and forever musical. You know, I think that is something that can happen from note one of every day, and it sets the tone for the day as a, as, as you're playing. No matter what you're doing, it should sound good. Yep. At least that's for me. But that doesn't mean technicality, yep. and that doesn't mean speed. And so, therefore, we can pick up the guitar and just go. You know, just something that sounds nice. Yep, yep. That's that's kind of what I like to set my day with, and then from there I'll start to warm up the the, the technique. And yep. Go for
0: you know, a great resource online is on YouTube. If you simply put in backing track into YouTube, mm-hmm. there's one site that totally floods it, uh, Elevated Jam Tracks, and that's a friend of mine, mm-hmm. Tom, and he puts out okay. new, he puts out a new backing track. He's based in the UK. Uh, he puts out a new backing track every day so it's not oh. like oh this one again every day he puts out a new one and, and awesome. that yeah i get up and, and I quite often leave a message on there tob great jamming with you again this morning because yeah we're completely different time zones but yeah. yeah uh he even puts up a little um diagram to show you oh this one's in b dorian here are the notes
1: you know, i'm sure i've seen those for sure and that's a fantastic resource mm-hmm. yeah that's that's what players need is and that's why on Gitopia i don't do it every day a new jam track comes out with the lesson of the week so it comes out every week and just the jam track jukebox i mean we're about to hit 400 jam tracks wow just that alone is a and i built all of them it's a because i because i want high quality jam tracks for my practicing yep so as a Gatopia member you know if you're in the player or pro level you get access to all that it's invaluable, you know, on, on YouTube, on a on a subscription site that you're part of. That's as I said, if you can if you can put that on, and mine are all about ten minutes long, so that you can kind of ease into it and brush off the cobwebs and kind of settle in and get comfortable, yep. and then you, you you go from there. Um to have that as a resource because again i I always i'm a i'm an existentialist i guess because i'm always asking what's the point sometimes it's not a good conversation (laughs) you know um talk to me about you know working out much i'm like "Eh, what's the point (laughs) (laughs) i know the point um i just love to use that as an excuse to be lazy sometimes yeah um but as a guitar player we do have to say what what is the point you know what's the point of sitting here and just doing this over and over again. Why? Is there any point to
0: that? I've done that and I've injured myself. Have you ever had any injuries and had to take a break from guitar because of overuse? No. Nope? No. no. Yeah. Luckily. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. I, I tried that and, and I've I've spoken to other guys who have done the same thing. So it sounds like your approach of just going in and just gentle with some improvising uh, oh. is the way to go. Warm into it. Uh, yeah. Dave, I... You touched on Gitopia, and that's a it's a big thing for you. Is the the Gito- Gitopia uh, I'm going to ask you to tell the folks all about Gitopia while sure. I take that quick break that I warned you about, and I'll, I'll be right uh, back because yeah. I, I can still hear you in my in my cans, mate. So uh,
1: absolutely,
0: tell us about your baby Gitopia.com. dot
1: uh, I, I will. I'll be happy to. Uh, you mentioned riff of the week, which I started on YouTube. I think in 2004 four or five and um you know it was probably a mistake because if you call something of the week and you don't keep up with it you are uh you know i don't know it's hard it's hard to trust that person you know so no matter what i was going to keep that of the week thing happening and i did but then it just you know it became and this was before youtube was really much of a thing you know at all but it just became a ton of work and i was touring a ton and i was like all right i took it all off of youtube it's actually still on there it's just all private um but all of it is on gitopia and then it's like all right well if i'm going to do a real site a real guitar education site let's do more so i added more features and it's been live for about five years and um you know again there's a lesson of the week which is a really simple and obvious concept yet it is it is kind of missed in, in in the guitar education world. And that is simply an example, you know? How can you use what you're learning? Can you use what you're learning? You know, again, what is the point? So every week, there's a weekly example of how to take whatever theory you're working on, key quality, pair it with some technique that you're working on, let's write a lick, and then let's put that, let's integrate it. You know, if you're not using it, again, What's the point? Um, so, we integrate it into a lesson, we practice it, we uh, then try to pull it apart and use it as fuel for improv. So, that comes out every week. The jam track comes out every week. Uh, you asked about practicing. There's a section called the boot camp, which is a uh, virtual practice session with me. Uh, we go through warm ups, neck theory, general theory, lick writing, technique. Again, Improvisation and integration Of the things you're creating And learning into actual music Uh, There's the resource center Which is a library of PDFs of scales, chords, arpeggios Uh, We do a live event Every week There's the guitar path which is the actual course Um, And that's all What exists now I know I'm forgetting some stuff But that's the gist of what exists now But 2.0 is in development I spent two years casually thinking about what has to come next a lot more teachers and a lot more features and a completely brand new website totally redesigned so that's in development I have no launch date for it but um, it's gonna be a massive leap forward and I'm I'm really looking forward you know to that as well
0: cool man you just mentioned something really important there using what you're learning
1: um
0: and uh, straight away just an example smacked me in the face when i was learning guitar learning music in school in high school i remember we got a, a new music teacher and he played some guitar um and I said to him, do you know about the modes? Because I was reading in all these magazines how guys like Satriani and Vibe were using these modes and I didn't understand what all that was. And I asked him in the class as he was teaching us about that and he gave us the explanation of this. This is a C major scale. If you play it yeah. from the D to the D, that's a Dorian mode. And from the E, etc. right? Right. And I, in all seriousness, put my hand up and said, Sir, how do I use that? And he threw me out of the class. He said, stop being a (laughs) smartass, get out. And I never got on with that guy because, A, I was a 14-year-old kid that could play guitar better than he could. He didn't like (laughs) that. And I had that thirst for knowledge that he just could not provide. And, um, And for years, I... Did not know how to use this. That was the textbook explanation that was in everything. It was like, how do I use that? So when you said using what you're learning, that is uh, such an important thing rather than just, hey, I know this exotic scale. Right, that's great what are you going to do just right. play it's that just as, like, a, as a scale up and down or are you going to use that
1: somehow musically it, exactly when you learn like a, a minor pentatonic scale knowing the scale means nothing aside from if you're in that key in quality you play the right notes yeah but even if you take it and you go You know, now we're using it. Why? Because of the musical elements. Not the notes. It's never the notes. That's a prerequisite. But what are you doing with it? How are you playing it? That's all that matters. And that's rhythm phrasing. Again, timing. uh, Your subdivision usage. Of course, the technique to execute it. Techniques, synonym is style. And I guess, you know, maybe that should be more obvious in guitar education. Is techniques are there to add style to notes and that's it. It's not, it's not a, it's not a playing style. Yeah. It's add style. You know what I mean? But
0: man, talking of style, of just of hearing you play part. there, um, your, your touch, your, your feel, the, the, the micro bends. That's something that people mm. don't click onto. Is just that little, mm, mm, <laughs> that really adds to the feel. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's, just you playing those that, licks. That, that's so much more impressive to me than running a scale up and down as quickly as you can.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that, that was never appealing to me, which is why, well, just to answer one thing, it's those little nuances that I was talking about with Vi that I really quickly had to get my ear around or else I wouldn't have lasted in the band, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you get in touch with the... You know details. It starts to come out with every every single note. I'm sure people have heard Vi say this. Every every note should have a purpose, should have a personality, it should have style, it should have character. It's not a you know speed is part of the dynamic spectrum. If you play fast all the time, that's going to start to wear off as far as an effect. If you play slow all the time, that's also going to have kind of an an ill fate eventually. So we try to balance that out. So we can't just play slow. We can't just play fast. We have to have a balance. And that's, yeah. that's to me is what it's for running a scale straight up and down with a, with, with speed of any technique was never, was, was never attractive uh, to me. It still is not, it never, it, it never will be, you know, rhythm is king and it always will be. So do it, but give me some sort of rest slash different subdivision to add some sort of phrasing and rhythm into that scale or else it's just not going to connect at least to my ear.
0: Man, there was a a song, a, a YouTube clip that came out a couple of years ago now. Uh, Don't tell me not to play guitar. Did you see that? And it had all these yeah. great guys. Uh, it was a men's health awareness thing that was put together by mm. somebody that had uh, a guitar show. And right. had all these guys, starts, starts off with, it's like a two-minute song, and then at the end, there's like maybe five minutes of all these different guys taking big solos, all the big guys.
1: Awesome.
0: And about halfway into it, though, it all just became the same. Everybody was just trying to cram as many notes as they could into their eight or 16 bars or whatever they had to, to play. Mm-hmm. And... I'm trying to think. There's somebody that came along there that that didn't do that, and it was like, oh, thank God! There's somebody that's actually taking the time yeah. to play something musical and, and say something on the guitar rather than check out how much time I've put into. So I'm going to outdo you on that, Uh and yeah. it made me realise just how technical a lot of guys are, and how you never win that competition, Um and yeah, it's
1: just you know. It's like I said, when I was really young, luckily, somehow I got my hands on the Scott Henderson videos and that really opened my eyes to the power of the execution and the phrasing and the rhythm versus just the note and just the technique. And then fast forward many years, a fellow countryman of yours, Brett Garson, was one of my teachers at MI and I went to him one time with a, I was recording that demo, that small, I think it was a four song EP that eventually got me in Vice band. Um, I went to him because I was recording it and I had a line that I was trying to pick and I said, I just couldn't execute it correctly. And so I said to Brett, who, if you don't know, is a, a I, I think the cornerstone of his playing is hybrid picking. Mm mm-hmm. And so I said, how would you play this? And he said, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I said, how would you pick this? He said, I wouldn't pick it. This is how I would do it. And he, you know, whips out his hybrid picking. And it was, it blew me away immediately because, you know, you go to a place like MI and like everybody's trying to just shred their face off with alternate picking and such, which is fantastic. And we all should try as hard as we can with every technique. Um, But it was the eye opener for me that, we don't all have to be doing the same thing, and better yet, that we don't. And there was another instance of that many years ago. I was playing. A, I think it was the it was an Ibanez party during NAM at one point, and it was for one of the anniversaries of Steve's guitars. You know, either the Gem or the Universe. And we were playing a show, and at the end of the show, I think Satch came up, and you know, the whole lineup of Ibanez. And I was an Ibanez player at the time. Um, this, this one hanging out over here is a uh, one of the few Ibanez I have left. Just um, off camera.
0: Just kind of see it.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up for you. This one. This is a, an Ibanez uh, custom shop that we did back in 2002. Nice. So this is all-ash- Maple, Maple, uh, DiMarzio custom wound some, some pickups for me. We put a kill switch in it because I was switching between the electric and the acoustic and the sitar on that particular Vitor. tour. Um, this thing is, I, I need to set this up. I haven't played this guitar for forever, but anyway, um, you know, it's just it's just notes after notes. You know, as every player went by and took a solo. And then it came to uh, Tony McAlpine, who at the time was not an Ibanez player. He was a carbon player, um, I believe. And he is a shredder. We, I think most people know him as neoclassical, you know, uh, awesome, awesome talent, you know. But that night, he did not shred. He played very sparse, beautiful melodic ideas because everybody else was just down the line including me and then tony comes up and he just kills everybody with this beautiful melodic solo and it was it was um that was another eye-opener honestly because it was like it just showed um i even did a video on it which for at the time was riff of the week and now it's somewhere on Gitopia, but um it was an eye-opener that we don't need to be just shredding all the time. We don't need to be doing what everybody else is doing. With that, that's, that's such a far, you know, secondary thought to begin with. Yeah. But um, just make something nice happen. That's really all it comes yeah. down to.
0: Man, you mentioned Brett Garsett. I had Brett on um, probably a month or two ago now. Um, mm. Our chat went for three hours. Wow. We <laughs> spoke for maybe... Half hour beforehand and at least an hour afterwards. I spent my whole day talking to him. He was just the nicest guy, and he uh, is very well known in Australia as um, previous to going to America as the guitarist in the John Farnham band. John Farnham is a a huge um, singer over here, one of the best singers in the world, man. So Brett played with him all through the mid to late '80s, uh, and then rejoined after he came back to Australia. And what a lovely guy. What an amazing player. Oh, Uh, Oh God, he's
1: so good. How lucky
0: to be getting instruction from guys like that at at MI. So how old were you when you went to the Musicians Institute?
1: Uh, I was 20 20 into 21, and then I left to to join Steve's band. Um, But, yeah, and, and, you know, meeting Brett was – just by chance because when you go to mi you're assigned I don't remember if you can pick it actually I don't even remember but you have a private teacher for like the semester okay and he was he was my private teacher for that semester and just changed the way I think a lot at, at the time especially um, about serving the part serving the song and not trying to shoehorn. A technique in there just because everybody else is doing it, or you feel it needs to be there, you know. Trust your instincts, but now you know, what? what that, gets
0: me about Brett is yeah, he's amazing with all his legato and his hybrid picking and everything. But his standout work to me is when he puts a slide on and can't do the oh, shred yeah. thing. Then yeah. this most beautiful melody. So the the John Farnham solos mostly are slide guitar, and you're just like. Yeah that's just like a, a, a singing woman that sounds yeah. like a, it's a it's amazing um yeah. so i did folks i did have brett on uh a few episodes back if you're interested in having a listen to our chat all three hours three hours of it are up online but um <laughs> now i had pete thorne on a couple of weeks ago and okay. pete also went to the music musicians institute and he passed on a story to me about one time there was a jam where everyone had to get up and peter had learned all his parts and he was all so technically correct and had all his gear sorted. He said this one guy got up there who went up and all scruffy looking, plugged into the wrong input of the wrong thing, was like, oh, how does this work? Uh, and just was so disorganized. But then when it, the drummer counted him and he started, he said, man, this guy just had mojo. He just rocked out and just threw away all that this needs to be technically perfect and gave a performance and Pete said that was one thing that he learnt from that that guy and and some of the other teachers pointed that out and going see that guy what he just did that yeah. is really important and and Pete said that he's really carried that on um and also just something you said earlier about uh touring with people and having to be just a good dude to hang out with man you know mm-hmm. um so that was Pete's thing that he got out of MI. What's something that springs to mind that you really got out that out of MI that probably isn't what people are expecting? People are probably expecting, well, oh, I learned this scale and that scale. Anything spring to mind that was?
1: Well, I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot. And MI is a great school, just like most you know, reputable music schools, it's not going to turn you into a musician. It's not going to turn you into a rock star. It's not going to get you a job. That's that's the thing that I came out of that school knowing is you have to. It's just like I said earlier. None of you can get good at anything. You know, in our world, we're talking about guitar here, but you're not going to get good at guitar by looking at it. You have to put countless hours. There's no way around it. There's no magic answer. You have to put countless hours, mass rep into getting good with this thing here. Um, so, you know, leaving MI, or just being at MI, that, that was one thing that became abundantly clear, is I, I have to keep putting these hours in because that's how I'm gonna get these, these results. But again, um, it's also getting to know some people You know your your network Um, not that that's everything but again if you're the best guitar player on the planet and nobody knows you or you don't know anybody then it's it's hard to get out right it's hard to get gigs it's hard to go out and uh, and and um, you know just try and get your foot in the door so that's something that I always recommend to people kids who are going to school it's not just about the classroom and then the time that you are going to be at home shedding, whatever you're shedding, you have to get to know people. You have to create, you know, I, I'm sure anybody can tell that's a big mantra in my world is if you're not creating what, what's happening, what are you doing? Absolutely,
0: Absolutely man. That's cool. And networking, I, I think, like you said, is such a big thing. Uh, I mentioned uh, I, I had the small box and I sold it last year to attend a, a YouTube event in Germany called 42 Gear Street. And okay. uh, that had a lot of the big guitar YouTubers and I was the nobody that Henning took a punt on and said, yeah, man, I've seen your, your demos come come along. Uh, and I had to sell my, my small box to be able to afford to buy like a new camera and flights and things like that. Um, yeah. But... I got there and I got the vibe from a few of the bigger guys of, hey, man, we've done the hard work ourselves. Don't try and muscle in on my videos. I got that vibe from a couple of guys early on. So I thought, you know what? That's cool. I'm not going to try and muscle in. I've got all the heads of all these great guitar companies here. And I'm going to mm-hmm. get to know these guys and sat out the backyard having a beer with these guys. I normally don't drink, so I'm a cheap drunk, one or two beers. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and the networking side of things as you said, making those relationships when I started doing these live chats. uh, I'm almost at 50 episodes already and people have been coming to me going, man, I can't believe the guests you've had on. How the hell? It's like, it was the networking that I did there. So for a little while, I was bummed that I sold my Pride and Joy Amp, but those relationships formed by doing so has just been so invaluable. So um, man, I, I really... Agree with you there about, yeah. Build those relationships. Let people know who you are.
1: Yeah, gear gear can come and go, and you can always get more. And um, you know, you just have to serve your purpose. That that's really, I don't know. But the purpose has to be. I don't know. That's a whole other thing that we... That we uh, he's just... My, my, my purpose in life, like I said, is creating, as a musician, is creating music and going to play it, you know, and maybe because I came up in a time when there was no internet and such, social media, super important, you know, but there are some people out there who put it way above anything else. They live by the like, you know? <laughs> They live by the view, and it's like, where's your record? Where are you gigging? I want to see your art, not the same video everybody else has done for the 12th time. Sure. Uh, It's all great stuff. Listen, create, 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 whatever that is, whatever your outlet is, but what's the point of this thing? It's to make music. I want yeah. to hear the music, you know, and not just a little, you know, lick for five seconds, which I post up plenty enough, you know. Um, but give me the full song. Give me your, give me your, give me your book. Give me your art. Whatever speaking, you speaking
0: of hearing the full song, man, I'd really like to ask you about some of your other projects. Uh, sure. Monument Shine, Visible at Night. Yeah. Before I get to that, though, we did touch on the gear, and you said you got the small box. Uh, small boxes. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to dive in a little bit to, to, to the gear side of things before I, I go over to that. Three Wait. small boxes? How are you running those?
1: Well, these these two are in stereo. You know, this is my touring rig. My, my touring rig is <laughs> BE100s. Okay. But for my band, it's the 50s. Um. I don't subscribe to I need to use a practice amp at home. Obviously, I play two amps, two 412s in stereo. That third small box, um, I usually, first of all, it's a backup for one of these two, and it's also uh, an amp that I set aside mostly for recording at home. Okay. So the tubes are fresher, usually. And again, it's just a backup for these two in case something happens. Um, But yeah, that's what I run. And these Friedman 412s, they've got the vintage 30s on the bottom and the greenbacks on top. They're just fantastic, you know. And the the beautiful thing, as you know, about Friedman is he is a master of the master volume. Mm -hmm. So everything you're hearing me play tonight, I mean, these amps aren't even on one. And they sing. They're they have just, for me and my purposes, perfect. That's why there are three of them sitting here, and why most of my other amps are for sale. Yeah. I, you know, again, I—I've got a, a good range of amps, and that was mainly for recording purposes, and still is. But more and more, my my New Year's resolution was: all right, let's try and get rid of as much as possible yeah. that we're just not using. Um, so it kind of got me down the road of, okay, well, let's just move everything that I'm not using. So great amps can always use them, but this stuff covers everything that I need, you know? So I, that's, that's why I use, uh, the small boxes running in stereo and then one mainly for recording, but also for backup. Cool.
0: Now I have asked Dave how his amps sound so good that there, there are, um, One or two interviews with Dave on my channel. If anybody's interested, you'll find them. Uh, And he said he voices them down low. When he's voicing them, it's all down low. And it translates to to loud. Um, Now, I wanted to ask you, you said you're running them in stereo. Are you just running them both at the same settings? Or do you have some special super-duper switching system where you're using the preamp? two preamps from uh, channels from one and two from the other and switch between them? Not just.
1: No, the, the way that I run it, which is just a basic stereo rig. Um, so I'm plugged into this one and then we're coming out of that one. Um, the, the loop, we're coming from the loop on that one into a Strymon Volante. And then the outputs of the Volante, the left output is going to the return of the main amp. And the right output of the Volante is going to the return of the return amp. So all those knobs on the front aren't doing anything. Obviously, I'm, wow. not, I'm not I'm not plugged into this amp over here. They don't do anything because yep. it's just a return amp.
0: Okay, it's so you're just right using side. it as, as a power amp essentially.
1: It's being used as a power amp, but it takes the tone with me. And I'm sorry, I'm just realizing that this I shouldn't have used this webcam. It's it's. Uh, I'm going to publicly shame Logitech. <laughs> this is this is the most expensive Logitech camera you can get, and yeah. it sucks. It's terrible. I've got these beautiful Blackmagic Pocket Cinema 4K cams sitting right here. Oh, really? I don't know why I didn't use them tonight. So I apologize to everybody watching for the. It looks fine, man. Colors. I
0: have tried the the various uh, best webcams, and you're seeing me on my MacBook. Uh, but there yeah. is actually a Canon camera just above it that's. Being broadcast uh, but- I can tell
1: you're not using a, a, a webcam but I certainly am mm. um, but anyway yeah that's that's the basic you know um, rig and the great thing is again the tones of preamp or the first amp follow into the second one because it's just a power amp it's it's accepting the return so the channel switching everything goes with it and um, it's awesome to use different amps for this purpose But using the same amp is always going to work better. Unless you're trying to mix two preamps together, which is always a beautiful thing too. But I just want one preamp and a return amp, left and right. And uh, it's actually a very simple setup. Um, Anything that has two outputs can make that happen. Uh, Like a chorus pedal or a stereo reverb or a stereo delay. It's just right now I'm using the uh, Volante as... A little bit of reverb, a little bit of delay, and it's also acting as my split.
0: Cool. I was going to ask, I wasn't familiar with the Volante, whether, whether that was a, um, what type of unit, but that's reverbs and delays, is it?
1: It's mostly a kind of tape machine delay type of pedal, yep. um, but it has a spring reverb, digital version of a spring reverb built into it, and unless I'm using reverb as some kind of like effect, I only use a little bit of it, so it works perfectly for my purposes to have just my delay and reverb in um, in one pedal. I mean, sitting next to it on the board is an even-tight H9, and over here I've got the Strymon Timeline and Big Sky, To if I really want to dive into crazy delays and, and reverbs and such. But for one pedal to kind of do everything I need right now, which is just a little bit of delay and a little bit of reverb, I love that pedal. It really, it really works nicely. Cool, cool. You know, I, I
0: was at a music store the other day, um, Gold Coast Music, and Stewie, the the manager there, top guy, always looks after me. I uh, was asking me about some of the um, the, the more expensive amps, he, and he said, you know, like people are always saying, "What? Why do I pay you know five, 000, six thousand dollars?" That's how much a Friedman is over here. Versus, wow. uh, that's our money. Our money sucks. Um, <laughs> versus, you know like this little PV or whatever over here and I, I said to him man it's not until you get into a room or on a stage where you're really cranking it that the the, the modelers for me uh totally fall apart there's just not that separation and that just that little ten percent extra of a, a well designed uh boutique kind of amp yeah I think it's it's at at really high volumes that you, you hear the difference it doesn't doesn't fall apart all that having said that the freedmans do sound great at a low volume have you experimented much with modelists trying to play live
1: uh not live but i have an axe effects 3 sitting right here i had a kemper i had the earlier axe FX's. When I was young, I had a Digitech uh, 2101, I believe, was the big thing back in the day.
2: Yep.
1: Um, I, I, I'm i open to trying everything, but one thing I can't stand is my time being wasted. And what I, I, I use the XFX3 sitting here um, plenty, but... I use these for everything. I use, you know, I plug into this thing every once in a while just to kind of flip through it and get some cool sounds. And I did a Facebook live thing not too long ago. I was just plugged into an, a beautiful ambient delay. Um, it's it's an awesome tool. There's no doubt about it. I just want something that gets me my sound immediately with no software or firmware updates ever. And um, all I have to do is turn it on and flip the standby. And there's, there's my sound, you know. I don't I don't want to mess around with, you know, menu after menu. Um, some people love that. You know, some people really are into that as part of their rig, you know. Mm. Um, and then you hear people getting modelers and, oh, you know, for the same price of one of these, I have all the amps and all the effects now. No, you don't. <laughs> Well it's 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 a, it's an awesome thing. I mean it is. It is a nice kind of Swiss Army knife of everything. But you know, having the real stuff, and in the other room I've got Mesa's and Orange and Fenders and Voxes and I've got 100 I've got a Marshall Plexi, Super Lead, blah blah blah. I'm not here to list the gear. But I've got the real stuff and when you compare this to that, it's an approximation. It's not the real thing, and it's an approximate. For some people, it works amazingly, and that's all that matters, you know. Yeah. It, to me, it's like it, live and let live. I don't care what you're using, you know. If that serves your purpose, awesome. My purpose is to play, not to constantly update. Not that, not that you have to, of course. But I don't. If I want to tweak a delay setting, I don't want to have to go menu, 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 tweak, store, enter. Oh, that didn't do it, so I got to go back there. You yeah. know what I mean? I want to go to my. I want to go down to my pedal and just go, boop, yep. and be done
0: with it. You know, Osnoy brought that up. I had a chat with Osnoy a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying about the. we got one right here. The Line Six HX Effects, um, mm. and how he just wanted to be able to turn knobs and not go to the menus and stuff. And this is fairly easy, but still, you you've got to be on the right setting or. And, and these knobs are conductive. So if you accidentally touch one, it automatically jumps over to the other one and, and it can mess you up. Uh. <laughs> but right beside that, this is something cool. Have you seen these? The Blue Guitar
1: Amp One. You know, I, I think I saw that guy playing or demonstrating. First of all, great guitar player, that guy.
0: Thomas Blue, He's a great guy, man. He, I've, yeah. I know Thomas. He's... Really, really good yeah. guy and great guitar player.
1: Yeah, I think I, I just passed him at Nam. You know, that was yep. really it. I, I, I passed him at Nam, but that was that was the extent, you know, of it. The other the other thing about all the modeling, which is again, if it serves your purpose, it serves your purpose. But it is a computer, and in a few years, it will be a paperweight. Yeah, well, that technology evolves.
0: This is all analog. <laughs> this actually has knobs. Let me just oh, get to a, a screen yeah. of just me. Um, so. Four channel analog. uh It's got a digital power amp. It's a hundred watt power amp built into it, uh yeah. with a, a little nano tube to just get a little bit of that sponginess. That's awesome. But man, we cranked it up yesterday. Uh, a friend bought this uh, on my recommendation because uh, I had sat in with Thomas blueg and he demonstrated it to me. But I've never wow. played one with me turning the knobs. It's always been gotcha. Thomas doing the, the the turning of the knobs and. Uh, so the guy that, that bought it said, man, you, you you borrow it for a while and have a play. And I was really impressed. Um, where I live, there's a lot of noise restrictions for uh, the smaller shows, and you're expected to have a completely different rig to what I'd be playing when I play with bigger artists. Uh, so this really intrigued me. And i got to say, man, I had a bit of a play with it yesterday. I turned it up to about seven to see how loud mm-hmm. it would go. And people outside said, "Man, oh, geez, you! What the hell? What were you playing then?" And <laughs> it blew me away. But yeah, just you're saying about digital. This is all analog with knobs that you can actually just grab and twist and just great. it. So great. I'm going to look into those. But uh, but I do, I digress. You were saying. Um, well, I was about to ask you about some of your other projects because sure. enough of the. The Steve Vai talk and and the gear talk. You, as you've been sitting there playing, are very much your own player. You're not just the sideman to Steve Vai. Tell us about, and there was some people asking about this in the uh, chat room as well, uh, Monument
1: Shine. Yeah, Monument Shine is a band I started a little over a year ago. And it was just to get back to those roots I'm talking about when I was a teenager, just writing, you know, fun band with a singer um because in my adult life i i've only done instrumental music um just by circumstance really which has been a blast and i always will do some sort of instrumental music just to kind of serve the the musician or i should say more the guitar nerd side of me um, just to have different outlets and that's why i do different projects it's just to have different outlets i'm working on an acoustic record right now um, I put one out in 2012. Just nice, chill, unaccompanied, acoustic. It's one guitar. There's no layering. It's very simple, but it has a certain vibe to it that yeah. I really like to do every once in a while. So I'm working on the second one now. Um, Monument Shine is another project, and it's, a, you know, I want to say like you know, jam band-ish with i just wanted to put a band together with great musicians writing good songs but songs that we could kind of stretch out live and that's kind of where the jam comes into it but um just you know this whole quarantine thing you know we started i I found a, a singer so i put together a band last year and we played a show released a single a video all that great stuff but um like the singer that was in that uh this girl michelle fantastic voice she was kind of doing it for me as a favor because I could not find a singer. Um, so I have another singer now. Uh, I've got a different band um, and uh, been writing this year so far. And we were just going to do a, we were going to do one song and put that out and then go from there. But because the quarantine happened, it turned into a five-song EP. And then today, as I mentioned before, we started um, finished a full-length record today as far as the writing is concerned. Now now we're going... Because it's like, well, we can't gig. Let's just keep writing. Let's just keep going here. So um, finished up song number 10 today, uh, which might be my favorite out of all of them. But now it's about to decide... It's about the decision to um, figure out which one to record first and release. So we're just going to release singles for now. Mm-hmm. Um, while moving towards obviously releasing the full length at some point but it's kind of like the way the music industry now is you just release a single now another one in three four five months and you just kind of do that until you're ready to release a record especially this year this year is kind of just hit the pause button on everything obviously but certainly um, you know the whole point again is not only to release the record but to go play it and that's kind of off the table right now and for the time being, which totally sucks. But it'll come back around. Um, in the meantime, just writing and writing and writing. So that's that band. Great band. Um, right now, five-piece vocals, bass guitar, keys, drums, uh, even though all those positions have not been filled. <laughs> but um, And then there's my uh, this trio, this fusion trio. Again, talk about an outlet. Yeah. It's another outlet because it's fusion we do anything we want and we've been playing together for about 12 years we never released anything because the whole point of that band was i get off tour we get together we jam and then we go play a bunch of shows um so we were playing shows you know on the east coast here with with no record released which is kind of dumb you should have you should have something to sell at the not not just sell but um have something that people can walk away with right Yep. but the whole point of the band was no work the whole point of the band was let's just get together and have fun and play and our jams would turn into these 45 minute long hour long multi-faceted jams that we started just doing live we would go and play live shows with nothing prepared we would just start jamming on stage but we had the communication between the three of us was uh guitar bass and drums that we could uh, just just jam live and turn it into songs. We we just played in not just, but we played. Uh, I guess it was right at the end of last year, December of of nineteen was that band's last gig. And again, we didn't even rehearse for it. We just we just got on stage and we started playing. And um, wow, wow, it's it's just it was its purpose is for that though. It's like let's just see what happens huh?
0: That's incredible, still, man. You must have a lot of faith in each other, right, or, right. or know each other's playing well to be able to read where the others are going, and not be scared yeah. to fall flat on your face at times too. I guess.
1: Sure. I mean, again, we've been playing together. I, I've known the drummer since '03, and then we met the bass player, this guy Rob Smith, in '08, and we've been playing together ever since, and played a lot together. So the communication, again, like I said earlier, the, the musician's number one tool is the ear. Mm. It's just listening. Um Excuse me, and um, and we just have a blast. So we're looking at each other, we're listening, we're giving signs, we're just yelling at each other, you know, yeah, on yeah. stage. And uh, it's, it's just a lot of fun. The whole point of it was no work, Let's just play. Let's have a lot of fun. So what sucks though, is we do want to release something. It's just there's been either I've been back out on tour, or other various things have kind of gotten in the way. But we are still uh, looking forward to releasing something at some point. When? I have no idea. But, uh, you know, that's 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 that band. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Cool. Cool.
0: Yeah. Mate, uh, I'm just going to start going through some of the questions in the chat room uh, because sure, there have been that. a few people there. Uh, starting up at the top there... Well, okay, some nice comments. Hey, Dave, your Gatopia site rocks. Riff of the Week was also cool. Um, Let's see. Just a lot of hellos and things there. Uh, Dave, would you recommend being endorsed? Pros and cons. Okay, when I first read the first part, I thought, of course you're going to recommend being endorsed. Who (laughs) who doesn't want some good deals on gears? But pros and cons. Now, that's something that I've had an off-camera talk with Uh, somebody recently who was with a particular company and he said things weren't so good behind the scenes. Any pros and cons of endorsements that you'd like to talk about, Dave?
1: Um, You know, again, I think everybody kind of grows up and they're like, oh my God, it'd be so awesome to have an endorsement and get custom gear and free gear and all of, or or discount, whatever, whatever your deal is. Sure. I mean, there's not, there's, there's, that's never going to not be good. (laughs) That's always a great thing. It just depends on the, on the situation. Because again, I mean, all, and all anybody has to do is think about you are the company and somebody is saying to you, give me free gear for what, you know, um, it has not been difficult for me to work with companies and that's not because I'm any any name or anything, but it is because playing on tour with Vi, the audience at those shows is concentrated demographic for the music instrument industry. You can go to a Foo Fighter show selling out Wembley Arena. We will have more musicians at, at our show per capita, you know what I mean? a more concentrated group of that so to get gear in front of that particular audience behooves a lot of companies um you have to be a a a pretty big name or just work something out to actually get paid for that to get gear it's a different story for me it's just the relationship you know um i want to work with a company that's going to use me that's that's going to say, this guy can actually speak in front of an audience, <laughs> can explain things, can play. Let's do clinics with that person. You know, I, I love doing shows. Of course, I love doing clinics as well. Um, so, I was with Ibanez for like ten years. Great company, but my tastes changed. Away from um, you know flat fretboard radii and those kind of guitars, I, I just wanted something that was a little bit different. Um, so um, I was not looking to hook up with PRS or, or anybody. You know, that's the other side of it: is if you're in a deal, then you're you're kind of in a deal. Uh, like my deal with Ibanez was exclusive. Like anything that I was doing public. I was supposed to have an Ibanez in my hand. And I understand that, you know. They were building custom guitars for me um, from one of the most exclusive custom shops that you can... You can Because nobody, nobody can go to Ibanez and give them money and get a custom guitar. But you can do that with Gibson, Fender, PRS, and nearly every other brand. But you can't do that with Ibanez. So it's a closed custom shop. It's a very you know custom shop guitars are very exclusive and very rare blah 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 i had i had no problem uh holding up my end of uh of the deal but my taste just changed and i got in my 30s and i said i want to play anything you know Mm -hmm. um so i said to ibanez i still would like to play the guitars i just don't want to sign this exclusive contract to, to renew it and they said well that's just the way we do things so i walked away And uh, then just a few months later, actually, a friend of mine said, listen, I know Paul Reed Smith's right hand man. Why don't you talk to him? And PRS is about two hours south of where I am in Philly, they're down in Maryland. So they invited me down and everybody was just awesome from Paul to to everybody else that I met. And uh, this is a fantastic company. I've done plenty of clinics with them. They're they're a great company. but from the start, I did say that I, I'm not really interested in a in, in a contract because, listen, especially before the Silver Sky came along, they weren't making anything that sounded like a Strat, sure. really, yep. you know, really. Um, you can split coils and you can line up three singles, but it still wasn't the same kind of thing, you know. And PRS is their own their own thing, you know. PRS doesn't sound like Gibson. A lot of people think that they're the alternative to Gibson, and I guess they kind of are. But you know, I don't. I don't own a PRS that sounds like one of my Les Pauls. Okay. You know, um, PRS has its own feel, has its own sound, and that is an awesome and beautiful thing. These guitars. I can't take Les Pauls out on the road with me with Steve I. Again, I need guitars that have whammy bars, but I don't use Floyd's. I need guitars that have 24 frets, so immediately there's all the Fender and Gibson stuff out out of the equation. And uh, PRS's build quality for, for my hands and my purposes is uh, up there. You know, cool. it's it's kind of it's kind of the highest for me. Nice one. Um, So they're a fantastic company to work with. So I don't. It depends on what you're looking for. I guess. Long story short, to so the answer of the question is, you know, the cons would be. Are you going to actually live up to your side of that deal? And most people, it's a no-brainer, you know, including myself. But do you even want to be in a deal? Do you want to be signed to that piece of paper that says you're going to play this or, or whatever version of that there is? You know, I, um, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be in that situation, and I'm not currently. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't have a relationship with the company, you know. Uh, like I do with PRS, Uh, it's a a great thing, you know? Cool,
0: cool. I I just scanned through the comments there, and it's mostly just um, things that we've already touched on and a lot of uh, kudos um, to you and Gatopia. A lot of things asking how how it was to play with Steve Vai, but I think we've we've covered a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, Now, you mentioned doing clinics. What kind of things do you cover in clinics?
1: Um, I mean, it can range depending on the purpose of the clinic. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, I, the last clinic I did, there were, there weren't any clinics this year. Uh, unfortunately, uh, really the only, the only thing I did this year was out at Nam. you know, played, uh, the Steve, I, uh, Steve, Steve, uh, unveiled his new, guitar with Ibanez, so we did this show with Ibanez. The P is awesome. beautiful. Uh, yeah, the Pia. Um, it's really the only thing that so so later last year I did a, a few clinics for PRS. I'm trying to think what I did there. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like unless there's a specific purpose. Um, we we just talked about a lot of different things. Again I, I, I try to get people's heads in the philosophy of again, creating something. I don't care, again, I I try and tell people it's not about all the technique and stuff. If you know two notes, we can just go you know, taking a couple of notes and just doing something rhythmic with it. You can start to feel the pulse that's involved and you can start to get people's heads moving. You're making music. That is the goal. So I, I think the last couple of clinics I did was kind of all about that stuff and again, demonstrating very simple stuff that you can do. And, and the, you know, I always say, we were talking about rhythm. I say on Gatopia constantly, you have to be the rhythm player first. If you don't know the chords in the, in, in, in the song that even if you're jamming over it, um, like I can guarantee most people go to your, your buddy's jam track channel on YouTube and they disregard the chords. They just look at, what is the key center
2: Mm, and
1: can mm. i plow over everything with that and that's fine but if you don't know the changes you might be missing out on choice notes from that key center or god forbid a key change you know or a meter change in the middle of things you got to be the rhythm player first and that starts with just doing like i was doing earlier just take a chord Can you just sit by yourself with a chord and create a groove, tiny bit of a little bass line, throw a little bit of something in here, but but start with just the chord and create that groove and be the rhythm player first. If you can't make people's heads do this, what's happening? Great. But I need people's heads to do this for me to feel effective. As Anybody in, watching in,
0: this is going to see that I had it on split screen right then, and that's exactly what my head started doing as soon as you started playing <laughs> that groove, man. Now you touched on on playing, uh, you know, the the notes of the chord, and that's something that I've only recently started trying to do more of because guys like David Gilmore, when he plays his really beautiful solos, a lot of the time they're the the notes of the chord that he's landing on to outline those and. There is just something beautiful, something majestic about that, as opposed to just playing
1: in the key, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because again, if we're playing like an A minor, and then let's say we're going to go to a D seven, we can't play D minor anymore, A minor anymore. You know, we have to switch to Dorian and and if you I have seen jam tracks on YouTube where that actually literally happens and there's still no explanation of you have to switch to Dorian right here Yeah. so if you're not following the chords and you're not aware of, of uh, and maybe that was a bad example, that was more of a modal example, but if I'm playing let's say diatonic and I go A minor to a G minor. No, that's not a good. No, I'm sorry. Not not G minor. We want to go to G major. Um, we'll just go to a triad. You know, something like that. Where all I'm doing is um, I'm still thinking A minor over that G, but I'm pulling out a G B and D from the A minor scale. And if I'm not aware of what chord I'm on. I still might play key center, but I may not choose. Not that you have to all the time, because that gets obvious and predictable. But, you know, pull out some of those chord tones if you really want to lock in melody and harmony. Um, G, B, and D being the three notes from that G major chord, but, you know, just being the two, the four, and the six, I'm sorry, the seven of uh, A minor. If you can recognize that and your brain can process that, you're going to connect much faster better that's why again you you gotta be the rhythm player first so that you know when those changes are what the changes are and when they're occurring and then So I just keep, I keep going back between A minor and the G major triad and pulling that out of the A minor. And even without the help of the chords, you should kind of be able to hear it. You know, you should be able to tell, you know, you should be able to tell that. we should be able to just just simple simple stuff but we have to master that stuff before you can get more complex with maybe key changes quality changes and again all i'm doing is thinking key center a minor but chord scale and not not even chord scale but chord tones to pull out of my key center and then um we just have that beautiful melodic connectivity that won't happen if you're only aware of the key center and not the chords just kind of the way that I think about it
0: very cool so one of the comments there from Chris Alexander was that Gitopia's Gato- jam tracks are great Gatopia is the best 20 bucks I spend each month oh, that's uh, awesome I Thanks think you, you may have a new subscriber coming up in me uh, on GitHub, mate, <laughs> because it sounds like some of the things that I'm trying to concentrate on in my own playing right now, and you have a great way yeah, of explaining it. Um,
1: it's, it's my, my my teaching philosophy is the way that I want to learn, which is break it down to a granular level. Break it down to what. Is the absolute most basic function happening here and why I need it. And and that's how I try to explain things on Gitopia, especially when it comes to the modes. <laughs> because again, it's not C to C and D to E and E to E. Who cares? That's the so what? Does this sound like does that sound like A Aeolian or B locrian? It is but it doesn't sound like that. And that is proof that if you just play those scales like that, it, it's nothing. It's what is the scale? What are those notes, the new order of the notes? What is the root, the quality tones, and the modal note? And that's what has to be recognized. And then you, you'll, you'll have the modes. And, and you
0: won't stick me in the naughty boy corner for asking how, how we actually use that, like my high school teacher did.
1: <laughs> no, not at all.
0: I'd really like to cross paths with that guy and just let him know how... Um,
1: just poor guidance.
0: Yeah, yeah. How he had an opportunity to nurture someone with a with a natural talent, but he chose to work against me. Uh, yeah, I, I had other teachers that were complete opposite. My film and TV teacher from high school, I bumped into him, and this is 30 years after leaving high school, I bumped into him while I was having a beach walk a couple of months ago. And not thinking if he would remember me at all. And I walked up to him and Eddie Leon, right? And he's just looked at me. He's just gone. Wow. Ricky Hollis, are you still playing the guitar? Tell me you're still playing the guitar. I was like, yes, I am. Uh, But yeah, he was my film and TV teacher, but yeah, he still remembered. But we had a question there from Shane of Shane's Guitar Channel. Um, String gauges. Did you ever change the heavy string thing? And do do you use any products like Fast Fret?
1: I do not use any fast spread or uh, or anything like that. Maybe I should give it a try. <laughs> do you I use coded I, strings at all? No, 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 no. no, no. I, don't. I, I use Ernie Ball for most of what I do. I use 10 to 46. On some of the strats, I've been going uh, slinkier and putting nines on some of them just to make them purposefully really slinky. I do not subscribe... To the thirteens on a strat, which Stevie Ray did not play. He might have tried it, really? but he was not. He he played elevens. Okay. That's that's out of his tech, Renee. That's out of his mouth. Yep. Um, but you know, nobody cares. Just make it sound good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I I love. I'm I'm gonna make myself comfortable as comfortable as possible comfort is priority in life to me as long as i can maintain my tone and my tonal needs um i'm not going to work any harder to to bend <laughs> this note if i told you that was 13s you would believe it was 13s anybody would because you can't tell unless you're actually a b c d it with nines tens elevens and so on um Whatever I don't I, I don't care about that I mostly play tens, um, some nines. If I detune to E flat, I'll go up to elevens. You know, at that point, point. Um, one of the benefits of having a beard I get <laughs> hair in my mouth all the time.
0: <laughs> man, um, I, I tried eights recently. I picked up a friend's guitar and um, I was, man, your guitar. Plays great, but your action's not that low. What's going on? And he said the eights, and oh, wow. he gave me a set to try. And I was having issues uh, with my with tendon tendonitis at the time. Um, and they were great. Was there a big loss in tone? No, there was not. And Rick Biado did a great video a few months back where he compared all different gauges of strings, and the lighter strings mm-hmm. actually sounded better and clearer and I, I've never really subscribed to that either. You know, the heaviest I ever went to was 10s. Uh, went to those 8s for a little while to help with the tendonitis. That's all cleared up sure. back to 9s now. Now I'm not hearing a big difference. That's
1: for sure. I mean, Billy Gibbs, Billy Gibbons plays 8s from yeah. what I understand. Yeah. He, he might, does, BB
0: King. Eights? Yep, 8s or 7s. Seven? even, yeah, I've heard as well. BB King, 8s. Uh, uh, yeah. So my friend that had the guitar strung with the 8s, uh, he was – Slightly older than me, maybe ten or, or more years my senior, and he said that back in the seventies, that's just what everybody used. Mm-hmm. And and then I found out that like Tony Iommi playing the old Black Sabbath stuff, tuned down yeah. a whole step was eights. Mm-hmm. Man, that sounds heavy as fuck.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's that's uh, you know again that's like going back to the amps versus modeling whatever serves your purpose and and helps you get your. You know, you're playing where you where you want it to be, and your tone where you want it to be. That's all that matters. Because BB King, a lot of times, also used a, a Roland uh, jazz amp. You know, a, a jazz chorus amp. That's a solid state amp. I I can't stand solid state amps. Like, you know, uh, I, I just I just I just can't stand them. You know, so so BB King playing one, it just sounded amazing. You know, it's it's what worked. I I don't care, you know, again, I don't care what you're using. Uh, Create something that sounds good with it. Let me appreciate that, you know. And then uh, it is fun, though, and it is nice to know what people are using. And that's kind of, to me, what the information age is all about trying to help and fast track the path for other people. Um, That's how we're going to move forward as a human species is sharing knowledge and, and doing something with it and being inspired by artists um, and, and, and and you know what whatever else you know what just get get something happening be a creator and then dive into the details because I'm sure you uh, have friends like I do, some of them, who are so into guitar and they play twenty minutes a week, you know, but that's what that's what they're happy with it's not their main thing. They've got a job. They just do it for fun. It serves their purpose. That's all that matters. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. Whatever you're connected with, whatever you are uh, into, passionate about, whatever brings you joy in as many moments of your day as possible, that is the purpose of life, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Dave, uh, you did say you you had about an hour to spare with me, and I've had you for about two hours now. Did you realize the time goes so quick?
1: Oh, I, I know. Time, time flies when you get into these things. Absolutely. And, That's uh, what you know. I said.
0: Yeah. So, uh, folks, if you have any more questions, um, please throw them at us in the chat room because I've got a couple more things that I want to ask Dave about before um, before he really has to, to take off, and I I am very gracious of you taking the time. Um, so, you played 7-String before joining steve I. You said you had uh, yeah. a universe prior... And you said that when you uh, tour with only a couple of guitars, you're going to take seven strings. So you're yep. comfortable playing the six string songs on a seven? You can just ignore that lower string? Yep. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and that was one of the benefits, or not benefits, I guess it was a benefit to Steve, but um, also one of the things that, you know, helped uh, because uh, being a seven string player, Steve needs a seven string player. There's a lot of seven string in his music, even if it's not that that prominent. It's still there in various ways. And when I joined his band, he did not touch a seven string on tour uh, until a few years ago. You know, I handled all the seven string stuff. I think it was two tours ago. He finally picked one back up. And uh, because we were doing a song called Valorum or Weeping China Doll, one of those. Maybe it was Weeping China Doll, where we were finally both playing seven drink. But um, yeah, again, I mean, when you're when you're coming over to a place like Australia, Asia, or South America, where we're just flying, you know, pretty much every day, you have to be efficient with uh, you know how much gear you can bring, so. I would just consolidate and play everything on uh, two of these seven strings. and um, But, yeah, that was it. So playing with Vi
0: repertoire-wise, is he one to just pull out some random song from an album? No. 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 So it's not like no, you have to no. know every song of his cold because yeah. he can just pull it out? No. No. Okay.
1: And, and thank God, because I do know bands that are like that, You yeah. know, like Dream Theater. Or at least Dream Theater when Portnoy was in it, Uh, Mike, you know, Portnoy, Yep. Um, who's a a friend of mine, he's a fantastic guy, he doesn't live too far from me here, Um, but that's a lot to deal with. I understand why bands do that, because night after night, the same thing can be a little less, uh, you know, it's still fun, don't get me wrong, of course. But no, I mean the music is so is so intricate, and it takes a lot of rehearsing. So Steve picks a set list. I mean, we might change up something in the middle of a tour, but it's not like okay, guys, here's your set for, your set list for tonight. It's totally different than last night. Steve doesn't do that. Thank God, because um, that that would be a lot. But uh-huh. no, it's we we Steve picks a set of songs. We rehearse it. And then we go, and uh, we usually spend the whole tour doing that.
0: Now, you also said you don't use Floyd Roses. Is there a reason you don't rely on a Floyd?
1: Um, they're a pain in the butt. <laughs> Again, as I get older, I also like simplifying my life, and you know, I can I can take these guitars, and I don't have the range that a Floyd does. You know, but as long as I can serve the part that. I need to play either on my own or with Steve um, then I don't need a, a Floyd. you know I, as soon after I left Ibanez I, I haven't played a Floyd. Obviously none of these PRSs have Floyds and this is the stuff that I use on tour. Um, I can change this guitar fully in five minutes or less and you know have it stage mm. ready. And with a Floyd, it was just got to unlock this, and then I got to unlock this, and you know, again, I'm just a lazy bastard, yeah. And I love being as lazy as possible, and so as long as the equipment is serving my needs, why I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use more than than I need to uh, to do the job. I've been they, on they, the Floyd's great. Flo- Floyd's are fantastic, but I saw that I could get away from them. And, um, just have a simpler thing, have a simpler existence with, you know, something like this or, um, you know, you want strats or something.
0: I've been wanting to, to find a strat with a Floyd Rose, um, recently because if I break a string with a Floyd Rose, I can put it back on. And I've wanted to get something with a Floyd from my, um, playing around town, playing at home, uh, so that I wouldn't, wasn't spending a fortune on strings, because every time I break a string it's like uh oh, pretty much have to replace the whole lot with the cost of individual strings and everything
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: I came across this just recently who, who, Valley what arts is that? a Valley arts
1: oh okay yeah
0: so uh, I, I I put on on Facebook hey does anyone have a a Floyd Rose, uh, sorry, a strap with a Floyd Rose they want to sell me, and um, and a friend said, "Hey, my old Valley has been sitting in the corner for yeah. years, untouched. It needs some loving." Uh, and man, the neck is so broken in on this; it's it's not funny. <laughs> Just that really nice rounded edges and everything. Unfortunately, it needs a new Floyd Rose. All these starting to strip, and That's but right. yeah, you, know, you can get them cheap enough now. But yeah. the EMGs and everything. I have been talking to um, one of the best guitar builders in Australia, Charles Cillia, about possibly just spending some money and getting getting that one nice guitar built that you keep for life. And I told him that this came my way and he brought up the fact that back in the 90s, there was a whole crew of people playing these and he was doing work on them and they just didn't sound that good. Hmm. And I've got to say... Christian, if you're watching, sorry, man, I'm not to speak ill of your guitar, but I actually got the pickups all working in it last night, and it just doesn't sound that good. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know, because I had one of these, which was one of my main guitars through the 90s, 2000s, and I remember why I sold it now. It was because
1: (laughs) it just
0: didn't have that stratty quality, and I think it's the EMGs,
1: to be honest. It could be the EMGs. It's definitely also the 24 frets.
0: Yeah, this is this is uh, yeah. That's a big thing. Mine was the t- the full. This one's a seven eighth body uh, with a Gibson oh, okay. scale length, whereas gotcha. mine was the full size body with the twenty two frets. And yeah, that's a big thing of the position of the pickups, yeah. um, which was a, another reason. Man, I got a spare body back here. You should that I should put it. that I should put that on that that neck on. Give it a try. There's a a Warmoth body here that doesn't look like much now, but when I wet that wood, the flame on that is beautiful, and I have sort of sure. done some finishes myself I over can the see years. It. That neck does fit on here. I did try, <laughs> and the positioning of the um, because it's a shorter scale length. Uh, I don't have to move that that neck pickup, and it might help yeah. be a bit more stratty. Uh, Dave, we are we are coming up to that that two hour mark. Where's the time on there? So I, yeah. I will round things up, and I yeah, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I just wanted to talk to you about one last thing, and that is you've mentioned philosophy quite a lot, and. That is a big thing, and I'm going to guess you get a lot of that from Steve because a few years ago, I subscribed to truefire.com. They had a, a sale going on the, the yearly subscription. And a friend mm-hmm. of mine came over. She doesn't play guitar. I sat and I watched the full five hours of, of Steve's mm. part on there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And at the end of that, she turned to me and she said, I just got schooled on life by Steve Vai. <laughs> uh, just his philosophy, because he said at the start, if you came here to learn how to play this mode or that scale, he said, man, there's thousands of people that can teach you that better than I can. Um, but he was going to teach you about the philosophy of things. So, And and you've mentioned it quite a lot, and you've said you get into that in Gatopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even Steve's live streams recently uh, during the quarantine, so I've been watching that and been getting some some gold. What are some things that you've learned from him and is that where that whole thing of philosophy comes? Well from
1: for you. Um, some, some of it for sure. Yep. yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to separate like life from guitar. Yeah, and it's hard to it's hard to do that first of all, but specifically, topic-wise about philosophy, think about it, think about what you are connected with and what you, what makes you happy and what doesn't, and dive into why and blah blah blah. Guitar though, um, while some of it is is absorbed. From watching a uh, lifelong master of their craft, like Steve, experience is the only teacher. You know, I don't care if you, you know, there's plenty of people on YouTube who, everybody's got a valid opinion, Mm -hmm. but is it qualified? To me, the only qualification in life is experience, you know? If you're a guitar player, but you never released anything and you never play shows, you're lacking experience. Plain and simple. There's no way around it. Be real about it. Um, doesn't mean you can't be a good teacher or a good player, but there is definitely experience earned levels to things that you cannot get from sitting at home or not creating, right? Right. So the more you create, the more experience, the more you get out and do, just do, you know, be a doer. That experience will refine your thought process, your philosophies, and you'll figure out what works best for you, right? obviously, uh, no matter what you're trying to do. Um, but there's no way around it. There's no, there's no way around because we can talk about and you can listen to good words, good advice, good things about philosophy from, from people. And it, you may resonate with it. Um, and that's a start for sure. That's a beautiful thing. That's a great start, but you got to put the time in on your own path, experiencing, experimenting with whatever you're doing, like guitar, to really make it sink in and see if somebody else's philosophy works for you. You know, um, and I talk about this like with with alternate picking, and I'm I call myself the world's okayest alternate picker. <laughs> Because it's not something I really worked on until very recently, actually. Yeah. And the point is, you see guys who are very, you know, focused on a lack of movement, just having everything very still, um, very efficient, and that's what I try to focus on. That's what has worked for me. But then you watch Marty Friedman and Steve Morse, who are who are doing this. Yeah. And you have Zach Wild, who elbows his way through everything and many many other styles there's no one way there's no one philosophy oh but zach said this and Vi said this and marty said this and that's them and their physiology going into their philosophy and outputting some sort of result that they have found works for them you can take it as a starting point which is a great thing again we're here to share information But is it ultimately going to work for you? You will never know that until you put it into your experience and garner the uh, earned results, bad or good. You will find what is going to happen with that philosophy when it's actually put into practice. So a lot of it's experience-based is Uh the point. That's always the final teacher. That is always the only – I mean, the people that I go to – for answers on certain things it's I always look for the people that I know have experience not just the webcam a functioning brain and an internet connection
2: you know yeah
1: <laughs> experience is what I can trust you know um, the life side of things Steve has put in a lot of time On that side of things as well which he has talked about again during the quarantining um he's talked about that in in some of his chats and um it's 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 an it's a great like i said enlightening eye-opening if nothing else thing to listen to and you get these philosophies in life and hopefully it just kind of calms down the noise for me anyway this is what i took away from it and what i read now constantly um, which was influenced by Steve with Eckhart Tolle and a men- bunch of other mentors. But what just comes all the other crap? And we need this all more, more than ever now, especially, I don't know about in Australia, but in America here we have a health crisis that has turned into a political shit show, And it is disgusting, and it should be criminalized. That's all I'm going to say about it because I don't talk about politics, but now more than ever, we need to, we need to brush off that noise. Because mm. otherwise, I mean, suicide is up, right? Distraction, lack of focus, all of this fear, like everything is way up. For whatever reason that it happens, it is, it is what it is. But that life philosophy stuff has helped me actively clear it out so that I can enjoy my day. Because I can tell you, during March or since March, during this whole thing, there have been days where I couldn't write a word or a lick because I was inundated in the morning with garbage, biased news that wasn't even news, giving me the information I need. It was just to get ratings and to sway political this and blah blah blah. I, uh, that to me is all bullshit. That that Absolutely. should be like there should be a criminal investigation into serving mass population not exactly the truth let's put it that way yeah again to me it's just a very it's 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 a wrong it's a wrong direction for humanity but i've learned to kind of not ignore it because you can't be ignorant but you got to get on with your day you know you have to get on with what your purpose is for that day and um those philosophies that I'm fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with by. And we do talk, I'm not kidding, every single day on tour, we get into these conversations. Well, this is bothering you. Why? Why? Let's figure that out so it doesn't continue. Is it this thing that's staring you in the face? Or is it something that happened years ago that is a reflection on what is staring you in the face? And it's just you're dragging it through life. Like those kinds of things that... you. you you know, it takes time to dive into that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And, but it's but it's a really great thing. It has nothing to do with religion. You know, the word spirituality comes up. I don't care what you label it, but it is not it is not certainly not a religion. Um, it is a spiritual based thing more than anything. But it's just for me, it's just about. I resonate with that. That helps me get through my day. That's all I need. You know if it works for me then that's all that's all i need and it's not malicious hurting anybody else i'm, I'm not preaching to anybody else about this you know whatever it is um, that's the stuff that i've taken from steve and he has put a lot of effort and time study um, into those kinds of life philosophies because that will trickle into your your purpose your art um, at least, from what I have seen. Absolutely,
0: absolutely, man. Um, hey, I, I, just something just popped into my head just now. You said earlier that um, you're more, when it comes to guitar tones, you, you're focused on things that you don't like and frequencies that hurt, like yeah, three k, etc. Right? Do you know? I've only found this out recently. Do you know why three point two five is such an annoying frequency to humans? Mm-hmm. It's the resonant frequency of the ear canal. I uh, I did some work at a um, hearing specialist last yeah. year and uh, I had to leave the company. There was only one person that I met, one audiologist in the whole company that actually knew anything about yeah. hearing or anything. Everybody else had gone to university and learned what they needed for the job. When I asked them some basic questions like, hey, man does wearing noise-canceling headphones as hearing protection, is that actually going to be worse because is there a doubling of sound pressure because it's taking the outside noise, flipping the phase and giving me that? And they're just looking at me blankly like, what the hell are you (laughs) talking about? And there was one guy that I met. uh, He was an older South African guy. And he said to me, when are you going to start your studies, man? Because you know more about this than most of these other people working here. But he brought that up. He said, do you know why 325 Hurts, um, and that's because that's the resonant frequency of our ear, ear canal.
1: It makes perfect sense because yeah. I I hate that frequency. Yeah, that's <laughs> why. I, on 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 anything that I record, like if you, you know, I, I'm I'm uh, I have not put, admittedly, uh, nearly any effort into marketing Gatopia. Yep. It's changing with the new platform. Yep. But I do put out little previews. Yep. So you can kind of hear what's happening in the video, you can hear the guitar, the jam tracks on Utopia, etc. I, you know, again, it's recorded all right here with this stuff. Um, but in my saved EQ templates for my guitar, there's a permanent dip. It's not much, yep, but I like to pull out that 3 to about 3.3 uh just a little bit of a dip there just to get that a little bit more out of the ear. Yep. So I you didn't mean, know, I didn't know why I just knew that I did not like that frequency. I don't like the way it it it, it sounds on uh, you know on my guitar.
0: Yeah. Have you had um any trouble with with your ears like touring so long? Have you always worn ear protection or you have do you wear yeah, in-ears I'm
1: now? Really I've always been protective about my ears because I use them all day every day especially as an engineer. When I get into mixing and mastering and, and, uh, you know, I don't want any ringing in my ears. So I keep earplugs in my car even. And if I wind up at a noisy restaurant or bar, I I will put them in. Same. You know, I I just don't because it's also about fatigue, which is why I love noise canceling. Earphones or, uh, you know, the the, the, the uh, Bose headphones or I've been using the Apple uh, AirPod Pros, their noise cancelling is fantastic. Oh, cool. Um, because when you get off of a 15-hour flight, you're far less tired if you have noise cancelling headphones. Because otherwise, you're just hearing this crazy rumble. Hour after hour, and that, that you don't know it, but that's wearing you out. Mm, mm. You're on a cross-country flight here, from here to L.A., it's about six hours, and um, it makes such a huge difference, you know. So stuff like that, I'm, I'm super protective of my, my ears. Yeah.
0: Cool, cool. I, I stupidly uh, played at very loud volumes when I was in my late teens, I think. You know, rehearsing four nights a week, sitting in a mm. small room, cranked up, right next to a drummer. Uh, So I do have the ringing in the ears, um, which yeah, I wish I I was a bit smarter in my younger younger years, but I also take them with me everywhere. Um, So engineering-wise, you you said you you work doing a fair bit of engineering as well. Is that something you've done? Is that something you've studied? Uh, Do you have your own home studio?
1: I was thrown into it by Steve. On the very first tour, because he got this idea that we were going to record every sound check, we were going to record new songs at every sound check uh, that were influenced by local music, and this was over in Europe and Australia and Asia and South America and such. And he said, "All right, you're gonna, you're, you're in control of that recording and engineering that." So that turned into a double live record called Alive in an Ultra World. Cool. And that was my first little... I I had no... It just wasn't on my radar. It's not that I didn't want to do it. It just wasn't... I didn't... It it, it didn't... It was not on my radar at all. But after that, I, you know, uh, we had some time off from touring and I wanted to start recording and put out a record. So, uh, you know, just... Got Pro Tools, got some nice outboard gear, and uh, just dove in, learned how to continue the recording engineering side of things, the mixing and engineering side of things, and the mastering side of things, which I, I honestly don't recommend. I think, uh, you know, just be a player and yeah. let an actual professional mix engineer take care of that, and then a mastering engineer take care of that, Um Unless you're interested in it, you know, go for it. But it, it, it will suck your time. Um, and so I still, I still do it. <laughs> but, like, uh, again, I've got an acoustic record that I'm working on, like I mentioned. That's one guitar. No layering at all. So I will mix and master that because yes. it's simple. But, like, my band's stuff... I really don't want to do any of the mixing or mastering. I would rather send it to professionals, and that's what they do all day, every day. Because obviously, they're going to do it way better and way faster. And um, but you know, it is nice to know what 3K sounds like, or you know, the the honky stuff around 700, 800, 900, 1K, or why things can get muddy around 250. Stuff like that. It's just nice to know that because then when you're dialing in or choosing a guitar, pickups, amp, cabinet, speakers, you are more in tune, aside from just using your ear and saying that sounds good, this doesn't. You know, you can actually be in tune with what might produce your tones optimally faster. Yeah.
0: Man, I wholeheartedly agree with getting a professional to do it and not going down the whole rabbit hole yourself because I lost 15 years of my life to being a mixer producer mm-hmm. that I just totally forgot about being a guitar player uh, and didn't yeah. learn anything new, yeah. forgot my way around the fretboard. Um, and I mean, I I stumbled my way into working in broadcast on radio through doing home home recordings of myself and local radio station heard it and they offered me a job there and that kind of got me going down that whole path Mm -hmm. but i do have friends um my friend lisa is watching now i saw her in the the comments earlier and she's recording a little project at the moment she's any any tips for for mixing and it's just like yeah just give it to me because you're not going to be happy it Took me fifteen yeah. years to learn all those yeah. things. Yeah. And that a lot of it was working in radio, recording something, trying something, waking up the next day to hear my work on the radio, on the clock radio, yeah. and then going, Oh, that didn't work. Let's not do that. Oh, that one worked that time. And you using that experience, man, what a rabbit hole. What a rabbit hole. What I've learned as well is it's not about gear that a lot of people put too much emphasis. If only I had this mic preamp, if only I had that microphone, you know what? A half dB in your EQ, using a stock EQ in Pro Tools is going to make that half EQ difference, half dB adjustment is going to make much more difference if you know what you're doing than that mic preamp ever will. Uh, And i got to say, man, I didn't realize how much of guitar production Steve Vai was an influence on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, dating back to when I was learning to play guitar and Skyscraper was the big record and I'd sit there with my headphones on and it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, I could hear it's recorded twice and it's one on each side and then every now oh. and then it's split to one harmonizing against the other. Yes. Wow, imagine yeah. being the guy doing that harmonizing. Imagine being next to him on stage and playing guitar and then the harmonies come up and you got to rip that out. And guess what, man? <laughs> you've been living that dream for 20 years.
1: I, I have been very fortunate to... Um to Be in that position for sure, and uh, if I wasn't doing it, there's uh, millions of guitar players who would, who would happily take this spot, and um, yeah, it, it's been awesome, it's been an education, um, it, it's, it's, it's really been great for sure doing all that stuff, <laughs> man. It's all been,
0: right, it, it's been great pull. having you on, man. We've hit two and a half hours, Dave. I'm gonna let you go, man. I yeah. want to thank you so much for your time, My uh, folks. Uh, if you liked this as much as I did, please hit subscribe, notification bell, all that cool stuff. Um, I am on all the podcast sites now, so if you don't want to see this face, <laughs> uh, you don't have to anymore. You can listen to it on the podcast sites. Alternatively, if you have found me on those sites and you want to tune in and see me and Dave here, by all means do, because man, that's one hell of a an isolation beard that he's sporting right now, and I'm jealous.
2: <laughs> I
0: love it. Dave Wiener, thank you so much, man. Uh people who know who watch my show and know that I've got the controller here and then in the top little corner I have my end screen and it ends like this. Bye now. Yep.